0: Hello and welcome to the Soilify podcast where we talk about regenerative agriculture and measuring soil carbon to meet modern-day environmental challenges. I'm your host, Kim Arora, and this is our introductory episode. In the coming weeks, we'll bring you experts from India and around the world to discuss small-scale agriculture, soil carbon sequestration, carbon credits, and the global carbon market. But first, we take a look at what Soilify is all about. To tell us more, we have with us today Michael Anthony, the founder of Earth Analytics India, which runs Soilify. Hello, Michael.
1: Hi, Kim. Pleasure to be here.
0: Good to have you. So, Michael, tell us, what is Soilify all about?
1: Um, so, so Solify is both a partnership, but it's also a product um, and a product that we're building. Um, it's, it's a partnership and a product um, built and set up by Earth Analytics India. Um, Earth Analytics India is a uh, small company startup incubated in Bombay um, a couple of years back. Um, and it was grown out of an international public-private partnership um, that was funded by both um, Switzerland and Germany and that had a number of reinsurers. I'm taking part in it, SCORE, Swiss Re, Allianz, as well as a number of primary insurers, to look into how to use remote sensing technology to, uh, to monitor risks in agriculture um, and to help build um, sustainable crop insurance schemes. So that was what, what, what Earth Analytics did. And then um, Earth Analytics, um, as a team, we looked more and more also how can we use remote sensing data to mitigate risks. Um, and, and, uh, and to help farmers better manage their risks in agriculture. And then talking to farmer producing organizations and NGOs that work in agriculture um, in India and in some neighboring countries, we realized that they really want to understand um, their soils and their behavior of soils. Um, and this is, um, and this is how, we, um, how we started the Soilify product development and eventually the Soilify partnership.
0: Okay, so you mentioned some partners. Who are these partners and what do they bring to the table?
1: So, um, for example, we have, just mentioning two, so we have a small um, NGO, or rather it's actually a farmer producing organization in Haryana. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And and what they wanted to do is they wanted to um, reduce their water they spend on irrigation, um, HR 16 they're called. Um, and um, and so what we did is we provided them with soil moisture data at the f- at the beginning of the Karif season, the major season, and um, and and then we overlaid this information with the cadastral level of information, so, so the uh, the KASRA numbers, the individual field boundaries, and 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 then we sent this information, both the remote sensing sourced soil moisture map. With the field information of where it, where different farmers operating, we sent that to the head of the FPO, and then he used that to call up his farmers and say, "Hold on with irrigation because I can see on the map based on the satellite data that um, your field is still sufficiently saturated," and they were saving lacks of water um, only at the beginning of the season. So that was one case where we looked at soil moisture. Um, then, and then we're also engaging with um, partners in prosperity in, in Um and. Um, and they're active in the coffee and rice value chains. So we we are, and they're working on regenerative agriculture. And we're discussing with them on um, what is the composition of their soil and what practices are they using and can we monitor both of them based on satellite data. Um, And there are other partners as well. Um, so so they're, they're, we're working with GIZ, GIZ is the um, German development agency that runs a large program globally on pro-soil, so how to stop degradation of soils. And they have other partners that they're working with in India, so there's the Foundation of Ecological Security and in Anand there's Water and Baif in the Maharashtra. And they're working with those organizations to help them implement regenerative agricultural practices to avoid soil degradation and they need to measure it. And that's where we're helping.
0: Okay, and we've been talking about regenerative agriculture a lot uh, in the the last few minutes. So why does that matter? Why is that important?
1: So regenerative agriculture is important to ensure that soils remain resilient and fertile, because if soils lose their capacity, to absorb moisture, for example, then any rain that will come will just sweep away the soils. So basically soils that that are not able to um, uh, to, or or soils that are bar of any soil organic carbon, which is what makes a soil rich, um, they don't have any more holding capacity of moisture, of organism. Effectively, a soil becomes dirt Mm -hmm. Um, and dirt doesn't have any any strength, dirt doesn't have any um, any ability to absorb water. So any monsoon that will come, any any flash flood that will come, will just sweep away the dirt and nothing, and and of course with it any seeds and crops um, that have been grown on it. So it's so important to um, ensure that soils have a capacity to absorb soil organic carbon, that that soils are rich, that soils can um, can can grow, um, and and can deliver. Um, eventually, crops and yields, mm-hmm. um, and and in the um, in the Indian context, a lot of soil has been degraded, mm-hmm. and and that's something which is uh, which is sort of a, a, a worrisome trend. So, if, if we look at the um, um, the total land a- area in India, then then probably half of that land area is being degraded, mm-hmm. and um, so 147 million hectare um, counts as being degraded. Uh, soil in India. Now the government has made some far-reaching commitment to restore soils, 26 million hectares until 2030. Um, that's very important, but of course there's a question of how do you finance that, um, uh, that effort and how do you monitor it? And that's where we come in
0: okay and earth analytics uses geospatial technology to measure all of these factors that you mentioned so you have satellites in space monitoring and measuring this that sounds very futuristic and very complex so how does that work
1: yeah so so it's not our satellites to start with yes. um so uh, let's let's be humble um <laughs> we we w- we wouldn't be able to we wouldn't be afford to run the satellites but there's so many up there i mean mm-hmm. there there are, um there the, the are meant to be 100,000 satellites by 2030 up in space. Now, not all of them are Earth observations. some are more into satellite communications and running our navigation systems and phone calls. But there's still a sizable number um, of Earth observation satellites. Um, so, those are the ones that we are in touch with. Um, okay. and, and some of them are private satellites, commercial satellites, and some of them are public. Satellites. Now, as a matter of fact, the public ones, i.e. the ones that are operated by countries, um, are generally the more sophisticated ones, Um, and of course for an exercise that we are preparing, we need need actually quite sophisticated data. So we need data that has an important reliability um, in terms of the frequency at which um, they're taking pictures. Uh, We need a lot of reliability in terms of the spatial dimension, i.e. what is the size of a pixel um because we have small land holdings in India so a satellite that has a pixel size 20 uh, 200 by 200 meters we won't be able to um, discern much of what is happening on an individual field um, so so we rely on those um rather big programs so there's the Indian Space Agency Israel there's the European Space Agency ESA and there's the North American Space Agency NASA um, um, all three of them provide excellent data Um also the German um, DLR um in another in another source so we take those data and then we um, develop certain algorithms some of them are machine learning backed or ai backed um, others are more knowledge backed so we, we develop these algorithms to look for specific information with regards to monitoring either soil parameters directly or to monitor regenerative practices so at large these would be the the, the the two approaches that we would be taking, and let's let's maybe look at one um, each of them um, in a bit more detail.
0: Mm-hmm. so
1: if we want to monitor um soil directly, now that is a very challenging undertaking and 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 it, we have to be a bit humble uh, because soils are of course very complicated, the idea that you can measure um its its components from thousands of kilometers away. Um, is is very courageous, to say the least. Um, But over the last couple of years, um, there has been better hardware, i.e. better satellites that have more bands to measure with, um, and also various methods that have um, sprung up using artificial intelligence and machine learning. So what we would be essentially doing is we would be taking both ground samples, and then we would be taking various other parameters that we can capture. Um, with regards to the slope um, the digital elevation of an uh, elevation sorry of the of the area the greenness index the soil moisture index um, um, and water um water that we can monitor so various factors that we take and then we look for the best correlation between them um so that's more an an, an approach to to um, attempt to mo- to measure Soil organic carbon, which is the key component that we want to measure, to measure that directly. Mm -hmm. The other approach is is we can we can manage regenerative agricultural practices, because whoever is interested in um, enriching soils, in stopping soil degradation, there will have to be certain practices to to get there, and and we can we can monitor and measure these practices. So there would be a practice like. Um, reduce tillage, for example, or stop stubble burning, um, or um, apply cover crops, or apply manure or slurry, you know, compost. And and the the effect of all of these practices will be that the soil organic carbon in the soil will increase. So the soils will become more rich, the soil degradation will stop and and these are things monitoring these these practices that's something that we can do based on remote sensing
0: okay and you've given us a, a a broad perspective on how this works but if we zoom in um what does an average farmer on the ground have to gain from regenerative agriculture
1: i think i think something that I, of course ideally what a farmer would have to gain is is that that he, he and, or she would maintain the quality of the soil so that the soil would also be able to deliver a good crop in the long run. Um, a lot of practices are more focused on the short term, making sure that a farmer is not losing out on a season. Um, so she might apply a lot of fertilizer or, or, or burn the crops just to ensure that the next season is not being missed but in the long run that's detri- detrimental so so it's it's a shift that makes sense in the long term it might not make sense in the short term because you know there's a risk associated if, if you shift practices that you might lose out on the short term so so that i think is the um, is the biggest risk and that's also something that we want to understand as part of our soilify partnership so that's less the technical product but it's more to un- to, to understand um, what are the financial drivers that either lead a farmer to to shift their practices because there are, as I mentioned from the GIZ um, partnerships, there are um, farmer producing organizations and NGOs and individual farmers that shift to those practices. So it's to understand what drives them to shift, but it's also to understand what withholds them from making that shift. What are the risks that they're facing? And then to understand how can we help to de-risk that shift. So what are the ways to reduce the financial risk that that, uh, a farmer might have through, basically, financial tools? You know, it could be an insurance product. It could be an uh, an investment, um, a loan-related product, or some blended form of finance where you combine maybe a grant and a loan. Um, And of course, there's the carbon market, um, which would also uh, be able to reward any um any effort of putting carbon into into the ground so this is something that that we also want to look into uh, to find the right mechanism of how can farmers be encouraged to shift into regenerative practices
0: and if investors are looking to offset or support uh, these kind of practices um what what do they look for when investing in regenerative agriculture is it yields is it probably carbon credits
1: what is it? Yeah, I mean, so so investors would probably also be interested in, 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 in the discussion we're having with farmers on what drives them to shift, because investors would expect some sort of a return. Now, some farmers might shift into regenerative practices because they can charge a higher price for a product that they have grown in an organic manner. So that would be one way of also eventually rewarding the farmer and any um, any investor that is providing a loan or or any other form of of capital um, to enable that shift. Um, so that is probably one way um, of um, of providing a return from those that are engaged in in you know what's being called conservation finance. Um, and, and there are examples of conservation finance mostly in forestry or mangroves, but increasingly also in soil. Um, That's one element, but then of course, I think many look to the voluntary carbon market with a lot of expectations and um, now that market is um, had seen a a high rise about 15 years ago, but then was slowing down, but it's now seeing um, a lot of dynamism um, again, and particularly the voluntary carbon market, which, which is eventually being fueled by a lot of companies, um, CO2 emitting companies that make net zero commitments. So they're they're saying that we will reduce our CO2 emissions. And whenever we have residual emissions that we can't reduce because there's some production activity, et cetera, in um, in, in our value chain, then we will offset those emissions through by buying credits from the carbon market. And of course, there's a lot of choice in terms of the credits that they can buy. And 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 the type of credits that farmers can generate is by enriching their soils. They are effectively putting carbon out of the atmosphere into the soils. Or the technical word would be they're sequestering carbon into soils. Right. And um or they're mid or they are not emitting because, for example, they they stop the practice of, of, of stubble burning. So they're effectively mitigating climate change because they're changing their practice and not anymore um, producing CO2 emissions from from stubble burning. And for that, they are entitled to generate a carbon credit. Um, And and we are optimistic that also there are sufficient buyers in the the global um, voluntary carbon market that would buy such a credit.
0: And who are these um, investors and investor groups who would be interested in uh, these kinds of investments and uh, buying carbon credits?
1: Um, so, so the, the I briefly mentioned that that conservation finance um, um, investment class, which is coming up, um, and and there there's probably a mix of investors who would be impact investors or investors who are driven, that they want their money to be used for a positive um, also environmental or social return, um, in this case in a positive environmental return primarily, um, alongside some, some financial return. Um, and then often or increasingly also in that area of conservation finance, they would maybe link up with, with philanthropic, more philanthropic driven investors, so even investors who do, do not expect return at all um, who would make a grant. And then you can combine those two and you, you have what is called blended finance. Um, um, so so generally, this would be more patient capital. So that's one, I think, investor group who, who wants to make sure that the that their return is not just a financial return, but also um, a strong environmental return. And another investor group, if we want to put it in sort of these larger um, brackets, would be... the the companies that um, are engaging in in buying certificates through the carbon market so the voluntary carbon market and these would be companies that are um, that have made uh, net zero commitments so companies that have committed to reduce their um, carbon emission to zero and for any reduction in the emission of their own operations that they can't achieve they will buy certificates so they will offset the emissions that they can't reduce. Um, So they would buy certificates from those those that are, um, again, mitigating uh, climate change by, um, for example, in our case, putting carbon into the ground, taking it out of the atmosphere in that way. Um, And that is a market that has, um, that is is believed to, um, that has a very strong growth record, uh, growth predictions and and half of that solutions will come from nature-based solutions and within nature-based solutions, um, climate um, within nature-based solutions. Um, uh, putting carbon into soils is is a mo- is a major component.
0: Right. And um, earlier this year, there were Indian corporations that um, made net zero commitments. Plus, at COP twenty-six, India made a commitment for net zero uh, uh, by twenty seventy. So, what does that mean for the future of carbon markets in India?
1: Well, I think I think India would would have probably a lot of potential to, um, yeah, to to also gain from the carbon market in activities that that we have been discussing. Um, I think there's a bit of a question uh, that, that I mean, the carbon market is a new um, or, or the yeah the, the voluntary carbon market still has a lot of regulatory insecurities which will have to be leveled out. Um, over the next um, month um, or years and and i think there has been made some progress on it one of the elements that that i think players in india would like to see clarification from is is if we generate um, if we reduce carbon emissions by uh, in, in activities such as regenerative agriculture who accounts for it is it the government that is accounting for it and says now, we as a country are, redu- are, are helping to mitigate climate change because we put carbon into the soils, or are, are, or are, are them the individual farmers that are accounting for it, um, and hence delivering a, a carbon credit on the back of it. So, so those things still have to be, uh, have to be worked out
0: right um so what we've spoken about here uh, this seems like a whole new ecosystem of finance and agriculture that we're talking about have we seen this take off um, elsewhere in the world perhaps
1: uh, yes i think we we have seen um very promising initiatives in the us australia and europe particularly on linking regenerative agriculture to the global carbon market um, so let me maybe highlight um, a few examples there and then and then at the end we can look at the global carbon market again. So in um, in the US, um, the, the, the company called Indigo um, that generated carbon credits, there are actually a few, but Indigo I think was the first one, they generated carbon credits based on regenerative agricultural activity. Now, as an anecdote, one of the challenges that they had been dealing with was that the value of the credit was as much was, was as high as actually verifying that the credit has been generating. Because verifying that you sequester carbon into soil so that you follow certain practices, etc., is extremely costly. And the better it's being verified, the higher the value of the credit is, because you can be sure that, that carbon has been put into the soil and that it stays there. Right. Um, but that's where remote sensing, again, um, obviously, obviously has, has an important role. Um, and another example from from Europe, you see there's there's the soil capital in Europe. Um, for example, to name one, there's Klim in Germany or Carbon Farmers also in Germany, um, that are also looking into um, working with farmers to engage in regenerative practices and then eventually linking that um, to the global carbon market. Yeah, so let's look at the the, the carbon market. Um, In Mm -hmm. itself, so so there has been there's a there's the compulsory carbon market um, in Europe, and I think California and and some states in the US have a compulsory carbon market so that's very regulated and companies have to purchase carbon credits um, um, and. and trade these these credits among them that's not so relevant for regenerative agriculture, so what is relevant for us is the voluntary carbon market now the voluntary carbon market. um, That exists because you have around 60% of the global companies that made a net zero carbon commitment for 2050. So they say by 2050, our CO2, reduc- our CO2 emissions will be zero. Now, there will be net zero because some of the reductions, some of the emissions, they will not be able to reduce. So, so if this is a, a I don't know, car producing factory and they need a lot of electricity, you know, somewhat, some electricity is still being generated by coal. Um, so, So there will be emissions that well, they will not be able to reduce. For those residual emissions, they can buy carbon credits and they can buy carbon credits from those that have made an effort to put carbon out of the atmosphere or that have avoided carbon emissions, like people uh, farmers that engage into regenerative agriculture or or others that work on agroforestry or, or or plant trees etc and and the est- and, and those are called nature based solutions so you you avoid carbon emissions um, or you put carbon out of the atmosphere through nature based solutions and um, <clears throat> and nature based solutions are a main driver or will be the main source i should say um, of carbon credits um in the next 10 years so the the um, consultancy company mckinsey estimates that 65 to 85 percent um, of the supply of carbon credits um in the next uh, 10 years will be from nature-based solutions and regenerative agriculture is one of them next to mangroves tree planting and and, and, and oceans etc um and the estimate is that the global voluntary carbon market will have a volume in the most conservative estimate and the, also the most conservative price estimate of the value of the credit of at least five billion um, until 2050, but the the, the, the more um, courageous forecasts you forecast the amount of up to fifty billion us dollars so fifty billion us dollars in, until until 2050 in sort of the more um, progressive estimates so it's going to be a market. That is relevant, and it's going to be a market that will stay with us um, in the next decades.
0: Right, that looks like something to um, keep monitoring and and keep following and keeping a track of. But thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. We look forward to what Qualified does in the coming years.
1: Thank you very much for having us, and and of course we are also excited to be um, in that space that that is very promising and and should have a, a sort of very good um, impact also on soils in nature
0: right well that's all we have time for today on the solify podcast you will find links to any articles news reports or studies we referred to in this episode in the show notes we'll be back next week with another guest to explore other aspects of regenerative agriculture and soil carbon monitoring until then stay safe and goodbye Mm.